All right, well, let's get after it. If you have a Bible, John chapter 17 is where we'll be this morning. John 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a black hardback underneath the seat around you. You're more than welcome to grab one of those and turn with us to John chapter 17. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here at FCQ. We're glad that you are here uh, to worship with us. Uh, It's kind of an unusual Sunday uh, for us. We're taking the day uh, and just talking about um, where we've been so far in 2013 and then where we want to go. So if you're a visitor, kind of an unusual Sunday, but it's a good Sunday to get to know us, get to know what we value, get to know what our goals are, our dreams are, um, and things of that nature. So usually we do this once a year, um, but because of different events this year, we decided we'd take a break kind of in the middle of the year as fall was getting started, as we're all getting back to school and things like that. Uh, and just kind of um, come together and get on the same page. And so this is a mid-year State of FC3 address. Um, and then next week we'll be starting a series called Visions of Victory uh, on Daniel 7 through 12. So these apocalyptic visions that you find at the end of Daniel, it'll be awesome. Um, so we'll start that next weekend on September 8th uh, and go through Daniel 7 through 12 as we finish off the book of Daniel. Uh, we just finished series Resident Aliens on Daniel 1 through 6. Um, but because Daniel 7 is so unique, I mean it kind of is its own little half of the book, you won't miss much, so you can jump on board uh, next week and uh, come along with us. It'll be um, Visions of Victory, and I'll start next week. So this morning, uh, I want to start us off by reading one of my favorite poems. So if you, if you grab a worship guide, it's in there. I printed it for you in there uh, on the note side. So if you're a big note taker, I'm sorry I took up like half your space there. Um, it's uh, by Gerard Manley Hopkins. It's called As Kingfishers Catch Fire. And so I want to read it this morning, one of my favorite poems of all time, and then I want to kind of plagiarize, right? I want to use this imagery this morning to kind of frame uh, our discussion. So here's how the poem goes. It's Kingfisher's Catch Fire by Gerard Manley Hopkins. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy well stones ring, like each tucked string tells, each hung bells, bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Self goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more than just man justices, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father, through the features of men's faces." The first time I read this poem was maybe four or five years ago, and, and it kind of struck me and captured me, particularly the second half of the poem. We're talking about the just man, okay? In particular, this, this person who has been captured by um, the love and salvation of Christ. This is the just man, justice, right? He, he acts just because he is just. And he acts the way he acts because of his identity that he's received. The way that God looks at him. When God sees him, he sees Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness. He sees Christ's work. And he he loves him, the Father does, like he loves Christ. We'll see this in our passage this morning. And then he has two images here that I love. He says this. The first one is, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Christ plays in 10,000 places. The idea here is that there's so many um, times and places and situations in our life where Christ comes and meets us and speaks to us and the Spirit shows up and and reveals himself to us. And, And I think if you've been at this thing for any length of time, you'll find it's not always a church. Right? I mean, it's not always in a sermon that you're going to hear God's voice or that something is going to click in your mind or there's going to be some kind of dramatic realization in your life. It might be at the grocery store or it might be, you know, at your friend's house on Friday night. I mean, the, the Christ plays all over the place and he plays in, in situations that often you don't understand and wouldn't expect. 
right? I mean, even during his lifetime, you wouldn't expect him to be hanging out with these people. You wouldn't expect him to be in this seedy part of town. But Christ plays in, in 10,000 places and through 10,000 different people. Christ plays in 10,000 places. The second one is, is that lovely in limbs is just person. Lovely in limbs, lovely in eyes that aren't Christ, but it's to the Father through the features of men's faces. That Christ, as he's being lived out through the lives of these people who have been captured by him, become the limbs and the eyes, the face of Christ to people, to the Father, even though they're not, they're not Christ. They've been transformed. They're now the body of Christ, lovely in limbs, lovely in eyes. This morning, I wanted to kind of think back through where we've been in 2013 and kind of just notice a few of the places where Christ has been playing. Okay, I think Christ has been playing in, in 10,000 places over the past year since 2013. I want to kind of highlight a few of those, look at them, um, and then kind of talk about what it might mean for us to go find and participate in more of those places in 2013. And, and then what it might mean for you and I to be more faithfully lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes. That when the Father looks at us, he sees little Christ, people who are Christ-like, who look like Jesus. And when the world around us sees us, they see and are touched by and interact with the body of Christ, his people. Again, little Jesus is walking around all over the place. So 2013, in a word so far, um, would be amazing. Okay, So we've had a great year at the church. I kind of sent out a feeler to some of our leadership here at the church, just asking them one of the questions was, how would you compare 2013 so far to the other years we've had as a church? And, and kind of unanimously across the board, everyone's just kind of gone back with, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been one of the best years, if not the best years, that we've had in, in past recent memory here at the church. So um, a lot of exciting things have happened. I've got a long list. I'll just hit a few of the highlights here. 2013, so far, um, we've had uh, dramatic growth uh, in our church. So if you've been with us for over a year, two years, um, you can just look around and see the rooms a little more full than it used to be. Um, second service has grown more. Um, even our first service, 845, some of you might not have known we had a first service. We do have a first service at 845. Um, it is a traditional service, so piano and hymns. Um, even our first service has grown. I mean, we've seen growth across the board, um, which has brought all kinds of amazing things to us. Uh, we've seen spiritual growth. So um, there's kind of two aspects of growth in our eyes. There's numerical growth, and then there's um, spiritual growth, growing deeper, that, that you and I become closer to Christ and become closer to each other, things like that. We've, we've seen that in various things. Um, a couple of the responses I got back for some people was just personally, 2013, for whatever reason, has just been this amazing year for me as, as we've dove into the scriptures together as a community, as we've um, done certain things together. Um, we did have some baptisms um, through many tears uh, in tribulations, if you remember the last year. Um, and then actually, I mean, everyone cried, I think, asked for different reasons um, than other people. So we started a trust fund for the therapy um, that he'll require later on. I'm in therapy right now, so I can't, I just, his little eyes looking at me are just burned into my memory. Just, why would you do this to me, Pastor? I don't know if you've seen uh, Nacho Libre. <laughs> I must baptize you, right? Okay, so we do have baptisms, they're beautiful. Um, and really, I mean, we kind of experimented with baptisms this last time, and, and I, th- I don't think we've had a baptism service, a time of baptisms that weren't beautiful and, and wasn't touching. Um, but I had, there was a visitor that week had come to support one of the people being baptized and, and saw them later in the week, and they said, I've been going to church since I was you know, five years old. I'm 45, 50 years old. I've seen countless baptisms, and I've never, ever seen and been a part of baptisms that seemed so special and that seemed so uh, 
so memorable. Um, and so I think that's something maybe we can forget, right, if, if we don't get to experience kind of other things. But we've, I think the kind of message this morning is we've got something good going on, okay, and, and, and that's something that we can rejoice in. I and mean, times like that are, are very special and precious to us. Um, so we have the baptisms. Uh, a highlight, I think, as far as, like, terms of growing together would be Elephant in the Room. We did again this summer where we got together for a few weeks and hashed out some really controversial things in the church. Um, so we've done in the past homosexuality, abortion, war. Uh, this summer we did creation. We did gender issues, which is why I'm preaching and not a woman. No, I'm joking. Uh, that was... No, I didn't, right? I was like, well, he's rude. It was a joke. We're actually... We do have women elders and then they'll preach. Uh, what was the third one we did? We did another one. Creation, gender issues... And sovereignty, yeah, that was interesting. So how in control is God over the world? How in control of evil and stuff like that is he? So it's always a fun time to come together. We had various classes offered throughout the year by our elders and other people. Um, sermons, we have, uh, we finished up Acts in 2013. So if you look around, we've got various different sermon graphics all over the room. We finished up Acts. Uh, we didn't do our family trait series. Yeah, thank God for Acts, right? Two and a half years. Uh, we did Resurrection Matters at Easter. We just finished up our Resident Alien series. Um, on the side of the room is a lot of, this is from 2011, this, uh, the uh, Messy Kingdom and Hebrews, and then Easter from 2012, and then also, I was going to ask you, I'd planned on asking you who remembers some of these sermon series, but then I remembered, you don't ask a question if you don't want the answer, right? I mean, it's never like, what did I tell you last week? And no one says anything, you just assume that they know, and they remember, okay? Um, the reason, if you're wondering why it jumps from 2011 to 2013, is because of X. Okay? <laughs> we're in X for a long time. Um, but we're in, in deeper waters now, okay? We're smooth sailing. Um, working through Daniel, and so we've had some good sermons, um, some challenging things um, that we've worked through as a group together. Um, I think, again, it's one of the things we, we find special here and, and, and find um, unique about our community. Our financial situation, okay? So the of the address would not be complete without letting you know what... Um, we look like on that kind of more business side, we're looking very, very well, um, probably as, as financially healthy as um, we've ever been here at the church uh, in a great, great, great place. Um, so super healthy. And the thing is, when we've grown, right, we've grown and, and then like finances get more secure, we're able to do so many more things and we're able to explore so many more opportunities and able to um, pursue so many other ministry um, opportunities that come our way. And so um, that's not a... Uh, plea for you to stop giving. That's just a, we're doing good, um, so keep it up. Speaking of which, I think no one can look back at 2013 without noticing that we added a staff member, right? We added Wes Pogue to our team, um, which I think has been a blessing. Everyone loves Wes, and yeah, there you go. I never get applause, but anytime. <laughs> no, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Anytime, pity applause does not mean much. Last week, too, I mentioned someone else. People started clapping. I was like, where does that come from? No one, I get up and talk every week. No one claps. They, sometimes I see people cheer when I'm done, but I think that's quite different. Then. So we hired Wes on um, as our youth pastor. So we had our youth ministry start back up. I think all of you have been able to notice Wes, though, brings a ton to the table to our church on every level. And that was something we had recognized when the opportunity arose and, and why we wanted um, to be able to bring Wes on. Um, so much, and so that's a that's a big thing. That's a big deal for our church, and that's a something that we're able to do because of, of 2013 and, and able to explore these new ministry opportunities. So high school's back up and running, which was a big um, high point in our church's life in the past. We've got that back up, going strong. Middle school group sometimes overlooked. We've got a middle school group here at the church, and it's very strong, very successful. They meet on Sunday nights. Zach McKeska just kind of started it. 
Um, and so they meet every Sunday. Um, we've seen growth from the middle school group. Um, families coming in because the kids who have just showed up at the middle school group to hang out with them. Um, so lots of cool ministries happening. We do have a children's ministry that runs like butter, okay, every Sunday back there in the back. I kind of keep my nose out of the children's ministry, um, and it's kind of one of those no news is good news situations, right? Um, and it just works. And I know enough to know that it requires a lot of planning and organizing um, to make sure that our children are safe and that they're being taught uh, well. And so um, that ministry has been running up well, been going strong, thanks to Janelle Henderson and, and some of her um, team that has been real loyal to her and helps her out. And they've uh, got just a great little machine working back there. Uh, we have a worship recording ministry. So if you can see back to that window, there's all kinds of different recording um, fun stuff. And so Chris Henderson, beyond singing up here uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, does some recording with local bands, builds some amps, hangs out with kids in the area. And there's lots of, I mean, if you were to sit down with any of these people, right, they'd be able to tell you story after story after story about cool things that happened, about someone Chris has kind of mentored in um, the recording arena who's come back the summer from college and then done that to another band, right? I mean, it's the levels progressing, right? Making disciple, making disciples uh, of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's all these stories. I mean, if, if you had time, you could sit down with all these people. Our outreach, I think, is another highlight of 2013. We've given a lot um, to East Fork and Human Needs and poured a lot of resources there. We want to continue that. We've also started partnering, this is a big thing, with Elijah Rising, um, a human sex trafficking ministry here in Houston. And so um, we were able to sponsor Sam. Again, things that we can do with our, our financial situation that we wouldn't have been able to do last year, um, that we wouldn't have been able to, to support. And so um, we're excited about that. We're excited about it, getting to know that. We've actually got an announcement coming your way next week about another way you can get involved um, with Elijah Rising. So the short and the sweet of it, 2013 has been great. I mean, it's, it's really been an amazing time so far. There's kind of this energy, I think, and, and great atmosphere around our church. And there's more to go. I mean, I think um, from my perspective, the fall of 2013 can be even better. Um, there are going to be some big things in our future, and so we want to keep pressing and keep pushing. And so this week, as I was kind of sitting down and praying about our church and praying about where we've been and praying about kind of the dreams and the goals I have for our community, um, I remembered that Jesus, before he died, actually offered up a prayer for his church. Um, and he sat down and took the time and, and kind of put forth some requests to his father for the group of people that would stay on the earth after him. I would carry on his name, carry on his mission. So I thought it might be a good place to, to, to stop by there this morning. Okay, so that's John 17. That's why we're there. I want us to read this. This is Jesus' prayer. It's his high priestly prayer is what we call it. This is shortly before he is crucified. So, so many interesting things happening in John 17, one of my favorite chapters. There's some pretty deep theology um, happening here. There's a, I mean, it's interesting that this was on Jesus' mind right before he's crucified. This is what he's focused on here. And then you can see a prayer of Jesus. I mean, this is a, have you ever wondered what Jesus prayed, what, what his prayers were like? Here we have a long written out prayer from Jesus. So we're just going to read it together, okay? It's a little bit long, 27 verses, so just stay with me. This is Jesus himself, all right, before he's crucified, praying to the Father. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, the hour would be his crucifixion. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So there's some interesting things Jesus is talking to the Father about. Um, a relationship that they had before the world was even around. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled, perfected, completed in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, so sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who would believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me before you loved me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So lots of things stand out to me about this prayer. Maybe the most significant is that this is what's on Jesus' mind. Okay, This is what is consuming his thoughts before he goes to his death. He says, the hour has come. He's very self-aware in the Gospel of John that he's about to be crucified. And that he's about to give up his life. And as he kind of reflects on his life, and as he kind of looks forward to what's about to happen, this is what his thoughts turn to. I don't know if you're like me, but when you sit down to pray... Usually what you start praying about is what is kind of most central to you. It's usually what's kind of consuming your thoughts at that moment, that whatever situation or relationship, whatever problem you might be facing. Jesus sits down to pray, to reflect before he's crucified, and, and he starts thinking about and praying for his people, his disciples, this band of people he had put together. I want you to look at verse 4 with me again. A very interesting phrase here, Jesus says in verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, the words he uses here is the same words that he'll use on the cross when he says, it is finished. But this is interesting because if you would ask, I think if you took a survey of people on the street, okay, you went down to town center, you took a survey and said, what did Jesus come to do? What work did he come to do? What was his goal? What was his priority? You'd get answers all in the same sort of vein, right? He came to die. He came to be crucified. He came to forgive our sins. He came to be resurrected. He came to tell us about God. He came to preach, those kind of things. But, but Jesus is here saying before he dies, before he's resurrected, it's finished. I did what I was supposed to do. I accomplished one of my goals. I've accomplished the work that you have given me. Scholars have wondered over this. What does this mean? Is this Jesus speaking some kind of like prophetic tense where he's saying, 
in the future, in a few days after I've died, I will have accomplished all the work you've given me. I don't think so. I think the context here of him talking about his disciples, he's, he's referencing here the work of drawing to himself a group of people who would continue his work and mission after his death. He sits back and he notices and starts praying for the disciples and says, I've got my people. I've set them up. They're ready to go. I've poured into them. In fact, in the Gospel of John itself, it's kind of split up. And so from John 13 on, in John 13, um, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And in John 13 on, Jesus is kind of focused single-mindedly on his disciples. So before that, he is interacting with others and preaching and, and mingling with the crowds and those kind of things. But at John 13, he kind of withdraws and says, with the time left, I need to pour into these people and make sure they'll be ready for when I leave. And he pours, and he pours, and he pours, and he teaches them, and he teaches them, and he teaches them. And then in John 17, when the hour has come, he prays and says, they're ready. I've accomplished the work you've given me, the work of gathering to myself a people. You remember the people he gathers, right? These disciples, this really unlikely banded of fools, right? I mean, from, from different economic and, and social locations, um, different political affiliations, Right? I mean, from all over the, the spectrum here, um, loudmouths, quiet people, okay, um, one who's going to fall away, the son of destruction, they all come together and Jesus says, you're it. This is, this is my people. These are my 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel. These will, this is who will go forth in the world in my name. Jesus, I think sometimes, maybe we don't think about this, one of the reasons Jesus came, I think this is the, the first line for your worship guide, one of Jesus' priorities in his work here on earth was to establish the church. Not the church like Little C, like First Colony Christian Church, but the church, right? The body of Christ. Jesus wanted a people who would be able to go forth on his behalf. One of his priorities was to establish a church. You see, Jesus came and his, his, his mission, according to the Gospels, was to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it was in heaven. Right? To transform some things about how things ran on earth. To bring heaven to earth. And for Jesus to accomplish this mission, one of the, the key kind of points in his strategy was a group of people who he could influence, who he could disciple, who he could transform, who would then go on and carry forth the work. Jesus prays here and says, I've accomplished the work. He comes to, to start the church. And, and I mean, it's kind of exciting for you and I, right? I mean, this is when we gather on Sunday mornings, this is the tradition, this is the history that we're falling into. This group of people who have been transformed by God, who are following Christ. When Jesus is praying here, I mean, he's, he's probably not praying for you and I by name. He's probably not praying for First Colony Christian Church, Sugarland, Texas, in 2013. But he's praying for us. He's praying for our board meetings. And he's praying for our children's ministry. And he's praying for our sermons. And he's saying, Father, keep them, my people. In fact, he even goes past the disciples in verse 20. He says, I'm not asking just for this group, but also for all those who would believe through their word, right? I'm also asking for the large group that I know is going to come about from these people. Can you imagine? Sometimes I don't think we, we really take in the weight of this. When Jesus is resurrected and then ascends into heaven, at the moment, his mission, his ministry doesn't look very strong, right? People have deserted him. It's, there's not much going on. You'd think the resurrection, right, that it'd be big fanfare, but there's really not, they're still locked and scared, <clears throat> Waiting for like some help, right? For the Holy Spirit to come and, and maybe give him a kick in the butt. And Jesus entrusts the whole thing to this group of, of, of kids, probably young boys, 15, 16, 17 years old. It's, it's, I mean, it's kind of risky. 
let me tell you, I teach high schoolers. I'm not going to entrust a whole lot, right? I mean, you can't even hold my remote, okay? Much less, right, my master plan for the universe for salvation. But Jesus gathered this group together. He says, this is going to be my people. This is the city on the hill. These are the ones who will go forth and make disciples. These are the ones who will be transformed and carry my word to the ends of the earth. And through them, lots will believe. Lots will believe. Jesus comes to, to gather a church together. And another thing that's interesting here is the, the insight we're given into the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Um, we call this Trinity, okay? This is a Trinitarian type of discussion here. So, so for Christians, God is not simply and solely one in kind of this mathematical sense. God is one being, one substance, but yet three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's existed like that for all of eternity. That's not something he just does in stages throughout creation. For all of eternity, that's who he is. He's the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit. Three separate, distinct persons. Oftentimes we get confused, and there's, so there's two traditions. In the West, we've always focused on God's oneness. And so we get kind of confused when Jesus is praying to the Father. We're like, aren't, isn't that the same thing? What's going on here? Is he do you make-believe? Is he play? Is he pretending? You know what's going on? Um, in the East, though, they've always started with this threeness. They've always started thinking about God from this idea that there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when they come to something like this, it, it makes more sense to them. They go, of course, Jesus can talk to the Father because they're two different people. They're two different persons. But they share the quality of Godness, divinity. They're equally God, 100% both God. But two different persons, the Son prays to the Father. And you get a sense of a relationship here from before the foundation of the world. So look in verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me, lift me up, praise me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Sometimes I think we avoid the Trinity because it's kind of the scary, confusing doctrine, right? And we miss out on, on all the richness it actually brings to understanding Christian theology and understanding the work of salvation and things of that nature. So according to the scriptures, here and elsewhere, um, the picture we should have of God, again, is triune. God is a community, eternally a community. He is, in essence, relationships. The Father relating to the Son and the Spirit. The Son relating to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit relating to the Son and the Father. That's how it's been for all of eternity, before anything was around. This is why First John can say God is love. Because what's God been doing forever? Loving himself, each other, glorifying each other. The Father serves and loves and praises and lifts up the Son. And the Son loves and serves and glorifies and lifts up the Father. And the Spirit loves and serves and glorifies the Father and the Son. There's this, there's this like tight, neat... I mean, think of the, one of the best kind of analogies I have is think of maybe grandparents who have lived for 80 years and they have that kind of unspoken relationship, right? I mean, you know nothing's getting between them. They've been through everything together. They don't even have to, to talk, but just sitting in their presence, you can feel the bond between them, right? This is kind of the bond that the Trinity has, this, this community of eternal and perfect and divine love, service, glory from before the world existed. This is why Christians have historically said, our God is the happy God, or the, the satisfied God. He needs nothing. Sometimes when we get lazy with our words, we make it sound like God created you and I because he was lonely. That's not the reason he created us. He was in no need of anything. He didn't need help doing anything. He didn't need relationships. He didn't need someone to keep him company. 
In the ancient creation stories, these are all reasons that humans are created. The world is created, right? Um, out of some kind of violent um, destruction or for some sort of um, wicked purposes or for work to be done, right? I needed something. I need something. I need something. But the Christian God has everything and has it more than he could possibly want. I mean, there's nothing lacking there. And the, the Christian understanding of creation, the triune God wants to share what he has. He says, I enjoy this love so much that part of the nature of love, part of the nature of self-giving is to be able to give and to share. And so he creates something other than himself to wrap it in the love and community that he knows as the Trinity. This is why in Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over creation and God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. He creates and he says, come enjoy what I've had for all of eternity, what's always been mine. Again, this is kind of a different image than how we, we sometimes think about the big story of creation. But you, you put the Trinity in something and, and certain things start to take on a different light. So, so what if we unpack the story of the world in terms of the Trinity? The triune God creates out of perfect love. That creation exists inside of this unique bond the Trinity has, enjoys the love and relationship the Trinity shared for all of eternity. And then Adam, as the representative man, breaks out of that bond, separates himself from that relationship, goes his own course, and experiences what's the only thing to experience outside of the Trinity, which would be death, anti-life, chaos, destruction, violence. The psalmist says, all good is found in you. The reason C.S. Lewis says God doesn't bless you outside of himself is because there's nothing to be blessed with. He couldn't do it if he wanted to. Only good is found inside of him. So Adam breaks off from the Trinity and chaos and sin and all those kind of things ensue from that. And then Jesus comes, often termed in the New Testament as the second Adam. The one who's going to reverse mankind's course on our behalf. God becomes man so that he can write a new story to our race. And Jesus comes and enters us back into fellowship with the Trinity. I mean, look at some of the verses here. It's not something we usually kind of um, think of, and we don't usually talk in this kind of way. But look at verse 3. This is eternal life. Jesus come to give eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they're back in this sort of relationship. They're back in this sort of commitment with you that they once were in. Which, by the way, is something that would be able to start right now. Right? This is not something that, that kicks in after you die. This is something you're invited into right now through the Holy Spirit to know God and to know Jesus. If you keep reading, uh, turn with me to uh, verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. Jesus says this, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had before the world existed. In verse 10, he says, All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified. Um, If you look at verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am in this relationship with you, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We'll say this about the church, okay? The church, this community, is grounded in the work of the triune God. All right, you see this, this inner working of God from all of eternity here in John 17. There's this triune God, and the church is founded in being brought into, in some sense, this triune God, being saved and redeemed and loved. And then there's some, some remarkable phrases here. Why don't you look at two, okay? If you have a pen or a highlight or anything like that, these are, these are worthy. Verse 23, listen to what Jesus says. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me, and then here it is, watch this, and loved them even as you loved me. 
This is how Jesus brings us back into this relationship we've lost with the triune God. Jesus has it by nature, by right. And so he grabs us by becoming human. He takes on our nature and says, come with me, back in. And the way that the Father and the Spirit have loved and been with the Son, now they're with you and I. Jesus stands in, his filial, his love relationship with the Father now works for you and I. As, as Hopkins would say, Christ who God sees when he sees us. Christ in God's eyes, we are Christ. If you look again in verse 26, you see the same thing. I made, them, I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. The way that the Father loves us will be the way that they experience your love now. So, the, again, the Eastern Church would talk about salvation in different terms, right? They'd say Jesus became a man so that men could become sons of God. Right? The Son of God becomes a man to take us to where he is by nature, by, by right. The difference here, so, so sometimes people, we get in, to taken into the Trinity. I mean, we get, what is, we become God? What's going on here? Well, the difference here is, is Jesus is, has his relationship by right, by nature, from all of eternity. It's ours by gift, right? We're adopted, Paul would say. You and I are children of God. Here's our point here. We're, we're loved and saved as children of God, sons and daughters of God. The same way that Jesus is the Son of God, but Jesus is it by right, by, by, by nature, and he gifts it to you and I. But now you and I get to come back into this, this relationship. We get to, to find ourselves in the love that the Trinity has for itself. We get eternal life to know the Father, know the Christ. So this is Jesus' church. Okay? He creates this church. Um, he draws them in. He gives them eternal life. And then he sends them out. Okay? Um, so the church, Jesus' people, they continue Jesus' work and mission in the world. The church continues Jesus' work and mission in the world. If you look at verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then verse 18, this is big. As you have sent me into the world. So as, as Christ has incarnated himself into the world to reveal God, to do his purposes, to bring his kingdom to earth. So I have sent them into the world. The church now, in a sense, becomes the new incarnation of Christ. As they're transformed into Christ, they become more and more like him. This is why we, we use this metaphor, the body of Christ, right? The idea here is, how does the world around us experience Jesus? He's no longer with us. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. How does the world, how will your coworkers, how will your family members, how will your neighbors experience Christ? Through you. The same way that God incarnated himself in creation through Jesus is now the way he's incarnating himself in the world but through his people, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, lovely in limbs, lovely in eyes. They see us and they, they see Christ. They see the Father. We're sent out on mission. The same things that Jesus was doing and, and, and working for and striving after are now given to you and I, the church, or given to, to these little bandits, this little group, the disciples, are given to, to you and I here at FC group, uh, FC Cube. In verse 20, he prays for two things for them. I want to look at these two things. Verse 20 says, I don't ask for this only, um, for these people only, but also for those who will believe me through them, you and I, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So it's the same way that you and I are separate, but, but yet we're united, we're one. I'm praying that, that my people would be one, that they'd be together. Just as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. He even says that their oneness will be this kind of sign to the world, that they're with us, of who God is. The church, um, you and I, were sitting on a mission, and we're called to be bound together as one in love. We're called to be united. We're called to be of single-mindedness. We're called to stay together. Jesus is praying against divisions. He's praying against breaking apart. He's saying, when the world around you sees how you love, sees how you're one, it'll be a picture. It'll be like a, a living testimony of who the triune God is, of how Jesus and the Father are one. And when the world around you sees the way that you love each other, it'll be this witness to Jesus' work, to his transformation in our lives. He says the same thing in John 13. He says the world will know you by your love. They'll know you by the way you serve each other, by the way you sacrifice for each other, by the way you take care of each other. Those little moments, those little phone calls, those, the small and big sacrifices you make for each other, this is the big sign to the world that something new and exciting has happened in Jesus. Look at it work itself out in the lives of his people. That, that his people would be one, that they'd be united, they would love each other. And then that they would be set apart from the world in holiness. He prays that they would, they would be set apart, they would be distinct, that they would be able to remain faithful um, the way he was faithful in the world. Um, not taken out of the world, but being faithful in the world. Verse 13, he says this, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I don't ask that you take them out of that situation. I don't ask that you remove them from the world, from their neighbors and their family and their friends. I just ask you that you would keep them protected, keep them pure. Let them live like Daniel and his friends lived in Babylon. Protect them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. As you've sent me, I send them. For my sake, I sanctify. I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. These people are called to be set apart. They're called to live a different lifestyle, the city on the hill. And to go forth in power, continuing Jesus' mission. So the question for this morning, as we echo Jesus' prayers um, in John 17, is will FCQ, will you and I play our role faithfully in God's kingdom? Will you and I, for the rest of 2013, play our role faithfully in God's kingdom? Will we see ourselves linked up with these disciples? Will we see ourselves the recipients of this prayer? Will we see ourselves as those who follow the living Lord who has these desires? When we gather together, right, we're not remembering a dead person. He's alive. He's still moving. He's still active. Acts starts off. These are the things Jesus continued to do and to teach. He's continuing to work. He's on the loose right now. They tried to kill him. They couldn't. And he's got this whole little army all over the world. These little Christs. These people who have found their identity in God's eyes as as a son, as a daughter, loved and saved and forgiven, and people who now go out as Christ's presence in the world, in big ways, in small ways, in dramatic ways, but in faithful ways. So this is the dream that we have here at the church. This is our mission statement, making disciples, making disciples of Jesus. The dream has always been to have this kind of real and authentic group of people who follow Christ as best they know how, who, who study the scriptures as, as tenaciously as they know how, and who serve the world around them as, as, as much as they know how. And when they make a mistake, to just admit it and, and to go on and, and just to come together and be honest with each other and grow with each other and, and make a difference in the world. I mean, our dream has always been that, that one day in 50 years when we look back and talk about what we did here, we'd be able to say, Sugarland was a little bit different because we worshiped together. 
because we prayed together. Because we went out and served together. Because we did book studies together. Because we listened to sermons together. Because we were one. We were bound together in love. So how can, how can you help? And, and kind of what are our goals and visions for the rest of 2013? I've got four here. We'll, we'll run through them not too long. Um, the first one is want to continue to grow, um, both numerically and spiritually. Okay, we, we, There are problems that come with growing. Um, logistical problems, things like that. You'll have noticed our building is not very big. Um, things of that nature. But these are what we call in the business good problems. Right? So there are bad problems and there are good problems. A bad problem is not being able to pay the bills because four people go to your church. A good problem is like, oh, we need to put out more chairs, okay? Um, so we, we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to make an impact. Can I say this to you with all the love in my heart? We have to be careful that as we grow, we continue to be welcoming to visitors. So two weeks ago, I was in a conversation after church, and a, a visitor who had come to our church stuck around after church. It usually means they want to talk. They want to get to know somebody. And I was kind of watching. I was kind of cornered this this conversation, and, and I, I watched for three minutes. And I'm not exaggerating there. I mean, it was, it was painful, awkward. Three minutes can take a long time. I watched them stand there by themselves. Just as awkward as it could be. Desperately wanted to talk to somebody. Right? I mean, visitor books, they don't want to talk to somebody. Right? There's the door, they get in the car, go to lunch. It's fine. Because you and I really love each other. I mean, this, that's the problem, right? It's a problem and a, a curse at the same time. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Because, because we really love each other, so we want to go talk to each other after service. And we want to catch up on, on our lives after service. We want to see how I can pray for you after service. But here's my plea for you. What makes FC Cube so special for most of us um, is going to take more effort on our part now that we're a little bit bigger. And as we get bigger and bigger, it's going to take more and more effort. Um, so beyond our deacons and beyond our elders, if, if we were to have a mindset of reaching out, of showing the same love and friendship that we have here to other people, which is our model in Christ, right? He doesn't just sit there and enjoy his relationship with the Father and say, it sucks to be y'all. <laughs> he says, I'm going to do what I can to bring you into this. So, this is a problem, actually, that churches face pretty regularly. Um, visitors come in from the inside and can tell they really love each other, but I'm not sure how I can get into that. Sometimes the most loving and family-like churches are the most, actually, withdrawn and hard to get into, cliquish, because you love each other so much, right? And it's not intentional on anyone's part. I don't, I don't think it's not on my part. I mean, I'm confessing just as much. There's been times when I don't go over and talk to somebody. Um, but, but that's something we've got to watch out for um, and got to be intentional for. Um, so please welcome others the same way you've been welcomed. Stop the conversation. Call them later. Text them later. Um, and go grab that person. Right? I mean, if someone sticks around afterwards, they want to talk. They want to be included. They want to be in one of the circles that forms in the sanctuary and laughing and joking and things like that. Um, so... There's my plea to you. Um, we want to grow numerically. We want to grow spiritually. We want to give you more ways to plug in and serve in our church. So whether that's small groups or studies or things like that together. We want to develop, um, we'll return the past on-ramps and off-ramps. So no one can be on for, for 12 months a year, right? But maybe if we, we um, kind of experiment, come up with little seasons, right, where you can come together with a group of people and get to know them better and maybe have a common purpose, service or studying or things like that, kind of what we're doing with the mere discipleship group. Um, an on-ramp to kind of some growth. 
then maybe you'll at times need to take the off ramp, right? And have some periods of rest. Things in their life are crazy, things of that nature. Um, so one, continue growth. Two, we want to uh, take care of our facilities. So we're aware that there are some items around here that need tender love and care. Um, and we have the money. We actually have a whole insurance account that's earmarked for that. It's just been sitting there. So um, we're going to take care of that soon. Um, if you see anything like that, please let us know. We don't want anyone going to go into the men's restroom and think they're in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Not for what you're thinking. Um, I don't know if there's a light that hangs off the doesn't like staying in the ceiling, and then it'll flicker sometimes. And so you'll go in and be like, oh, no, I've seen this in a movie before. Um, <laughs> we want to take care of some things like that. Um, number three, uh, want to continue uh, having excellence in leadership, um, getting the congregation involved, the new people involved in, in leadership roles. Um, the more voices at the table, the more healthier we will be. It's always been our philosophy. Um, work on our deacon and elder teams continually to improve them. Um, and get that set up as we need to. As we grow, the structures will need to change a little bit. We do have budget and nomination committees coming up for the board. So shameless plug, if you want to um, be part of this, you want to be on a, a voice speaking into our 2014, we have a budget committee forming Okay, to talk about how we want to spend our money in 2014. That's a big thing as a church. We want you, if you're interested, to come um, give your ideas, come see what we've been doing, come share with us. We have a nomination committee, so thinking through who can serve where. Who can serve on our board? Who can do this or who can do that? Where are these talents in our church? Um, again, we need your voice there at that table. So um, that's a way you can help. The budget committee, you can talk to Zach or myself. Nomination committee, you can talk to myself as well. Um, then the fourth one, we want to, as we go through 2013, continue to press down the gas pedal on outreach. Okay? Funneling money and resources and times outside of our building. Um, continue with East Fork and Human Needs. Continue even more with Elijah Rising. And then even more opportunities. Um, we, want, we want more places outside of our church people can serve. Um, and get plugged in um, immediately if they'd like to serve, okay? So um, this, is, this is where we've been. This is where we want to go. Christ plays in 10,000 places, and we want to go find those places. We want to play with them. We want to be the body of Christ. We want to be lovely and limb. So the big invite this morning is for you to come to the table like we do every week. We'll come and, and participate in communion. This is a place where if two things happen every week. We, one, we come and we devote ourselves to Christ, and we say, this is who we are in God's eyes. And then two, we come at the table. There's this common element to the table. We come together like a family sitting around their dinner table. And we unite ourselves to each other and say, and this is our, our church. This is, these are the people we serve with. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So in just a moment, we'll participate in communion. You don't have to be a member to participate with us. Um, we practice open communion, which means it's, it's open um, for all. All are invited to the table. Those who wish to come worship and meet with Christ. Um, as was his practice during his ministry. You could find anyone at S table, um, anyone who wanted to come. Uh, so you are more than welcome in just a moment. We'll pray uh, and then invite you up.